0: Radio AI, www.radioai.net, the public resource for artificial intelligence literacy by the people who do AI. Is in two parts. This is part one. I'm Cindy Mason. I've worked on AI and robots at NASA, at UC Berkeley, and at Stanford University. In this podcast, I'll be your host and I'll be talking about giving robots compassionate intelligence. Compassionate intelligence in a robot means it has a stake not just in itself, in its decision making and problem solving and learning and analyzing, but it also has a stake in you. You've got a friend in me. Before we jump in, I would like to give you a couple of special tips on listening for this podcast. Because the material in this podcast is a little bit dense, I thought we'd try and experiment with some sound effects, and I guess you could call them ear cons, some acoustic cues that lets you know we're about to start a new section, or it's a new concept. So for example, if you hear this sound, or you hear this sound, or this, That means there's a new concept or we've started a new section. If you hear this sound, that means it's something really amazing. So let's get started. So in order to get to the details of how to give a robot compassion or how to give an AI system compassionate intelligence, I'm gonna start with some basics. We're gonna talk about what is a robot, What is a computer program? We'll start with an insect robot architecture and then add to it. We'll build a more complicated cognitive architecture, which is similar to what is used in the software agents, Siri and Alexa. And then from there, we will add the components to a cognitive architecture for compassionate intelligence. Before we get into the technical layout of our system, a very important topic to explore is why we want to do this. How is this going to affect our world? What are the possibilities for this kind of technology? Okay, so why do we want to create compassionate intelligence? Why do we want to engineer kindness? Well, one reason would be because the things around us do rub off on us and they change us. So right now, we haven't designed this into our systems at all. Certainly, you could argue there are some situations we don't need it. Fair enough. We're spending more and more time with computers. We're spending more time with laptops, phones, games and robots. Robots are coming around the bend pretty quickly. We even have robots in the cloud and software agents in the cloud. Think about Siri, Cortana, Alexa. You might say we are surrounded by our gadgets. The trouble is that there's some very smart scientists who study human-machine interactions, and they have concluded that the way we interact with our machines rubs off on us. So, in other words, the more time that you and I spend with our machines, the more we begin to treat one another in the same way we treat our machines. So, well, the trouble with that is many people are are frustrated. They report that they have shouted at, thrown, or hit their gadgets. That means that there's a lot of frustrated people walking around and that it's contagious. Yikes! So imagine what would happen if we designed all these gadgets, our robots included, to support us to give kindness and compassion when we needed it. If you look at some of the new discoveries in human sciences across many different disciplines, it could be argued that it's essential and imperative even. And we're going to do that right now. When you learn what they are, you will see that this is huge. This is really huge. Okay, here we go. Motherly affect has been shown to have a positive impact on the creation of neural stem cells, which govern our short-term memory, and also the expression of our genes that regulate the stress response. We have lower cardiovascular reactivity when we have consistent warm partner contact. It's also been shown that a lack of compassion or aggression has a negative impact on glucose metabolism. And since more people now around the world have cell phones than any other device, more than televisions, that means we have the possibility to lift up at a global level the health and well-being of people, no matter what their social level of income. The project that I'm going to talk about today shows that programming a computer to have compassionate intelligence is possible. And just like with any other piece of software, once we create an AI software program with compassionate intelligence, it can be copied and it can be spread. So the software that we create can be embodied. And by embodied, I mean, it resides in a computer in a piece of hardware, it can be in a cell phone, it can be in a robot, it can be in a laptop, it can be in medical equipment, it can also be in a software system like a a web browser or software that runs on your telephone. So Not being grumpy is a really good motivation, but scientific discoveries in cardiology, neuroscience, immunology, and endocrinology indicate that kindness and compassion are connected to positive health benefits. So by spreading the compassionate intelligence around through our gadgets, we have the potential to uplift humanity, no matter the education, no matter the location, no matter the social or economic level in society. All right, back to basics. What's in a robot? To put it simply, robots could be said to be made up of sensors and effectors. Examples of sensors are things like bump sensors, a camera, temperature sensors, and so on. The sensors give the robot awareness of its physical environment, much like our five senses do for us. Effectors are the way a robot acts or has an effect in the world. It's an action, it's a movement, it's a light that gets turned on. Its action or its effect is a response to the sensor input with any other information that it has. Sometimes, like in an insect robot, the behavior that it affects, it reacts directly to the sensors. It has no other information. In more sophisticated robots, there is memory, there's knowledge, there's learning, there's evaluating, there's cloud access. Sometimes there's interaction with other robots to collaborate or other devices. There can even be users involved. Examples of effectors include an arm, a voice, or a body. Sometimes robot bodies have locomotion so they can roll, turn, walk, etc. The main way a robot works is to have a computer program whose job it is to take the input from the sensors and feed it to the robot so that it can create the effect, its response or its action. This is called a control loop. The program executes what is called a control loop because it controls how the robot behaves, because it happens over and over continually taking input and feeding it to the robot, continually creating an output. It's called a loop or a cycle. Sometimes people think of a computer like an engine because it has cycles. In a way, computers and programs are a bit like movies and scripts. Like a script, the computer program exists on a piece of paper or in computer memory. The script doesn't come alive until the lines in the script are executed by actors. In the same way, a computer program doesn't come alive until the lines in the program execute on a computer. Without software, a robot would be quite still. In thinking about what programming components we need to build a robot with compassionate intelligence, we're going to start by looking at the cognitive architecture of a simple robot, such as one of the earliest robots that has basic insect behavior. So before we do that, let's stop for a second and talk about what is a cognitive architecture. A cognitive architecture is a bit like an architectural drawing for house, except instead of illustrating rooms and doors and, and things like that, it illustrates AI programming elements and input, output, etc. Most importantly, the cognitive architecture shows the process or flow of execution among these elements. And it's often depicted with, with arrows. You can see diagrams with boxes and arrows. It's They're fairly simple. So go ahead, if you want, at this point, and Google sense act architecture or sense react architecture, just to get an idea of the layout in a cognitive architectural drawing. In the early days of robotics, Rod Brooks created small insect-like robots that could do very simple things. All they did was react to the input. So if you saw the cognitive architecture, it has two boxes. One is a sensory box and one is an action box. And there's an arrow from the outside world coming into the senses, and an arrow coming out of the action into the outside world. So the loop is step one, sense. Step two, act. Step three, repeat. So each time the loop executes, the new sensor input will overwrite the sensor input from before. The next action is based solely on what it just sensed and dependent of the previous sensory input. It can't recall what happened in the previous loops, nor can it plan for the next action. There's no ability to archive, reason, plan, learn, or anything else. It certainly doesn't know what a user is. It cannot name or discriminate objects or people. To make an action, these kinds of robots simply react to their senses. How to build your way out of these shortcomings, as well as building all the way up to a cognitive architecture for compassion and intelligence, will be covered in podcast two. I hope you will join us there. You've been listening to part one of Giving Robots Compassionate Intelligence. This has been Cindy Mason for Radio AI. Thank you. Stay tuned for more cool Radio AI podcasts.